Welcome to the Bandofla podcast. I'm your host, Fevzi Hussein. I guess the only place we can start is the terrible scenes uh, that we've seen in Afghanistan, uh, more specifically in Kabul, uh, the capital and the airport, um, where we've seen the uh, Taliban literally take over the country. It makes me angry thinking about it. When we listen to our UK government and uh, Joe Biden as well over in America, what appears to be lack of kind of honesty on whether or not they were or weren't caught out. The speed of, of the events unfolding, let's face it, there's satellites um, and we know that there's, you know, a lot of spying that goes on by by the West, by the big states in the West. And I just don't buy um, this kind of surprise element of the Taliban. It's, it sounds like bullshit. It smells like bullshit. And, you know, the politicians haven't really been, certainly the UK government, haven't sounded like they know what they're doing. Um, which probably won't come as a surprise to most listeners. Um, but the, there's a massive um, evacuation. I mean, some of the scenes that we, we've seen in the last few days uh, where the big um, military planes were taken off and, and it begs the question, let's really get down to the brass tacks here. You know, 20 years that occupation has lasted and there's been an announcement to withdraw. I think on the face of it, ending an occupation is probably not a bad thing. We want our soldiers back in the UK safely. Already 457 British soldiers have died in Afghanistan. And, you know, what have they died for? What have these soldiers died for? Because to me, it really is not clear what what have we achieved as as a government um and it was tony blair's decision i believe uh, to go into afghanistan back in 2001 and these families the families of these fallen soldiers will be asking those exact same questions there needs to be an independent inquiry into what has, you know, I can only describe it as an almighty fuck up, yet another one by this awful um, government. And, you know, doing a little bit of research on this, just in addition to our fallen heroes, our soldiers, a number of them, suffered serious or very serious injuries. Um, the last figure I saw, and actually we did research kind of six, seven years old. And at that point, there was over 600 British soldiers who had suffered very serious injuries. We know it's not just a, a UK thing. There's an international outcry at what we're seeing in Afghanistan. And for Joe Biden and his uh, Democrats, they have to deal with the fact that 2,443 American soldiers have lost their their lives when you think about the coalition effort more than 3500 
coalition um, soldiers, part of the coalition, have died in Afghanistan. On the point around the research, just to give you a flavour of the Allied casualties and how difficult it was in Afghanistan, we're not just talking about um, the conflict with the Taliban. Have a listen to this. The Italian forces, so this is in relation to the Italian soldiers in Afghanistan, a total of 53 Italian soldiers sadly lost their lives. Only 34 of that 53 died in action. Nine died in what's described as vehicle accidents. Two uh, died of heart attacks. Uh, one due to an accidental weapon discharge. Four because of illness. One in an accidental airplane crash. And one sadly committed suicide. So of the 34 who died in combat, it does give you an, a real um, insight into the how dangerous it was. Not even just the, the war scenario, but outside of that. Um, a number of Italian soldiers were killed, actually not in combat. So more around the uh, British forces. And these, these figures are a little bit old, but I think they're still worth sharing. As of October 2015, um, British forces had suffered 456 fatalities and 2,188 were heavily wounded in action. Incredibly, another 5,251 suffered from disease or non-battle injuries. Of these, 404 soldiers were killed as a result of hostile action. So out of 456, 404 died because of hostile action. And 49 soldiers sadly were known to have died either as a result of illness or non-combat injuries or accidents. So it does uh, make us all think, listening to this, that, you know, Afghanistan, you know, it wasn't just the war. Um, our brave uh, soldiers had a lot more to, to contend with. And um, the thoughts, uh, the prayers of uh, our listeners, no doubt, are with all of those families who suffered uh, losses uh, and have family members who, who have not come back. So when we look at the narrative, I think it's interesting what, how a lot of the newspapers are presenting what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, one of the Guardian uh, writers, there's a recent article written by George Monbiot, and he, sta <clears throat> he states that everyone is to blame for the catastrophe in Afghanistan except the people who started it. Yes, Joe Biden screwed up by rushing out so chaotically. Yes, Boris Johnson and Dominic Raab failed to make adequate and timely provisions for the evacuation of vulnerable people. But there is a frantic determination in the media to ensure that none of the blame is attached to those who began this open-ended war without realistic aims or an exit plan, then waged it with little concern for the lives and rights of the Afghan people. 
the then US President George W. Bush and the British Prime Minister Tony Blair and their entourages. Any fair reckoning of what went wrong in Afghanistan, Iraq and other nations swept up in the war on terror should include the disastrous performance of the media. Cheerleading for the war in Afghanistan was almost universal and dissent was treated as intolerable. I would say personally that George Monbiot's piece is definitely worth a read. Um, so do check it out. You can find it on the, on the Guardian uh, newspaper website. So here at Bandofla, we do like to offer a perspective that is different um, because it's important to ensure that people who listen to this show get a bit of uh, balance on the news stories that matter and also to be honest some news stories that aren't being covered by the media because if we're being frank you don't know who is telling the truth and who is telling you a lie and it's for this reason that we actually um, follow media outlets like Double Down News who you can find on Twitter uh, their handle is at Double Down News they always present a different perspective and they're not afraid to challenge the media norms. So on Afghanistan, we found a clip of an interview with a chap called Joe Glenton, who's a former British soldier who served in Afghanistan. And I will be playing this, uh, aud playing the audio from this interview and sharing it with Bandofla listeners, like I said, you can find the interview if you want to watch the video on Double Down News's website. So the problem, um, the situation in Afghanistan has resulted in a massive problem um, around, again, refugees, people fleeing conflict, looking to go to safety. And we're seeing the, the, the usual rhetoric of the far right here in the UK, who basically are saying, Draw, bring, bring the drawbridge up. We've got enough refugees already. It really is a load of bullshit because we have got the capacity uh, to take on a massive uh, number more of refugees. And there is also the moral position that, you know, we've covered this in previous interviews on Bandofla. This country, has uh, been responsible, whether directly or indirectly, in destabilizing other parts of um, the, the world. Um, and the problem of refugees, the global problem, is something that we have to hold our hands up and support these people who are fleeing conflict and who are looking for safety. Um, for for their families, I, I haven't got the the full number of refugees in the UK, but contrary to what some people spout, um, there is not a a huge number of refugees. I think the government have announced that they're going to take nine thousand, possibly pushing up to twenty thousand. Um, I think that some countries have already taken that um, those numbers already in in their kind of rescue flights. Other countries around the world have got huge numbers of refugees already. Uh, one of the arguments you hear, well, why don't they just stop at the next country of safety? 
um, Pakistan borders Afghanistan and uh, a source close to me revealed that already Pakistan has 3 million refugees. Turkey has over 250,000 Afghani refugees. And this is in addition to having 2 million refugees from Syria. So clearly the, um, the, the, the EU um, and the UK, because obviously we're not part of the EU anymore, sadly, um, we need to do more. And um, I want to just touch on uh, Greece, actually, because I, I do feel sorry for Greece because along with Turkey, they're very close to, um, you know, access, refugee access in terms of, albeit clearly the refugees have to uh, go on these really perilous journeys across water in very unsafe uh, dinghies or, or small boats. But Greece announced that they're building a 40-kilometre wall along its border with Turkey. Um, so it's a 25-mile fence and um, a survey surveillance system on its border with Turkey. And citing, they've cited concern over a surge of migrants from Afghanistan, given recent events. So Greece's um, Citizens Protection Minister, Mikhailis Chrysos Choidis, uh, said on a visit to the region of Evros on Friday, we cannot wait passively for the possible impact. Um, of those who arrived in Greece during the migrant crisis, many have traveled further north throughout Europe, um, but Bandofla believes that approximately 60,000 have remained in the country. So there is a sizable number already in, in Greece. Uh, Mr. Mitsotakis said at the time that Greece had increased the level of deterrence at our borders to the maximum with security personnel deployed to the Evros land border. So, you know, these positions being adopted by these countries are, you know, I, I do believe Turkey and Greece need a lot more support by the EU um, and those countries who are able to provide um, support. Uh, but these types of actions are, are very worrying. So, okay, as promised, here is the really um, brilliant double down news interview with former British soldier Joe Glenton. I give the Liberals a lot of flack and rightly so, because they are after all the ones who sent me and my mates to war and some of us never came back. Some of us came back damaged. The centre, Blairism, Blairites and the people around him who did that. As soon as the flights to Kabul are suspended, the centrists are suddenly war horny. All of a sudden they're ready to put on their tin hat and get in the trenches. And of course it's ridiculous. I don't think they'd last five seconds in a place like that. I'm sure they would just completely collapse. That said, I mean, go for it. If these people are keen to go and fight the Taliban, bang them on a plane, send them out, parachute them into Kabul. Our elite strike team of Tony Blair's mates and Alistair Campbell and maybe Brian McFadden, I'm absolutely down for that spectacle. Send them in. As a former soldier who served in Afghanistan, it saddens me, but I'm gonna be honest with you and tell you that the last 20 years in Afghanistan was a complete waste of time, waste of money, waste of lives. I have lots of friends in the military who suffered very badly. I know people who died in Afghanistan, friends who took their lives. I sympathise with those people because they are my people. They're part of my composition. I was a soldier and I have sympathy with veterans, but I always try and emphasise that wherever the problems we had, we still go home. Afghans are home and all those problems, they're exacerbated by the fact they can't get out. 
the primary victims are always going to be and have always been the Afghans. I was in Afghanistan last year. My main role there was to examine the Zero units, which are militias of Afghan troops run by the CIA, so they're unaccountable to Congress, so they're unaccountable to the Afghan government. We're involved in various atrocities. We spoke to people in Jalalabad, the family of four brothers who were murdered and weapons were dropped on their body to frame them as terrorists. They weren't involved in the insurgency at all. We went out to a very remote village in a Toyota Corolla, absolutely terrifying on ID-stricken roads. Their village was attacked. Spoke to a man, his son sought refuge next to the mosque. They dropped a Hellfire missile on the mosque. They dug his son's body out a few days later. The Zero units came in, killed various people, ruined a lot of the infrastructure, burned the petrol station, which is a major local source of income. Some people did benefit from the war in Afghanistan. Your average Afghan isn't among those people. I'm not among them. Arms firms benefited from the war in Afghanistan. Military contractors, mercenary firms, a lot of those people have squirreled their money away. They've cut and run, butchered and bolted, as we used to say about British imperial adventures. It's an age of terror, but it's also an age of massive deceit. And in some cases, self-deceit. Defeated nations and defeated armies have to come up with alibis as to why they lost. It's an enemy within. In Vietnam, it was the hippies. The hippies betrayed our veterans. And the same thing will happen here. They will blame the left. They will blame the anti-war movement. Whatever you think of them, objectively, everything the anti-war movement said 20 years ago has come to pass, almost word for word. The issue of Afghanistan goes on. The deaths continue. The soldiers continue to die. The war is clearly unwinnable. The real culprits the liars and the deceivers, the press barons, the arms firms, the politicians, with honourable exceptions, all of whom have come out of this scot-free. It really speaks to just the political culture and the media culture in Britain. And the Campbells, the Blairs, the butchers of Baghdad and Basra are still seen as serious people. It's unbelievable. All the Afghan voices you could cite, all the Iraqi or Libyan voices you could cite, all the critics in the West that you could cite and talk to, as if these fools and these clowns and these failures are serious people who should be listened to. Bush's rehabilitation is one strange and sad feature of this. George Bush, Prince Harry, an Afghan veteran, shaking hands, joking on stage. These two, these two are a right pair. <laughs> there you have the architect of their mutilation and injury. That, for me as a veteran, was particularly irksome. These people have been reconditioned to such an extent, but rehabilitated by liberals. They've reduced him to this slightly eccentric old man who likes painting, and not what he is, which is, of course, a war criminal. The art community wasn't exactly my base of support when I ran for office. <laughs> if you've followed the news about Afghanistan beyond the headlines, the fact that the Afghan army capitulated very quickly isn't that shocking. It's still on the British Army website that they've trained 350,000 soldiers in Afghanistan. Between 100,000 and 200,000 were just ghost soldiers. Their wages was being pocketed by corrupt officials, dodgy generals. The shock in this country probably speaks to the media narrative, which has repeated government press releases on the progress in Afghanistan almost verbatim. The reality on the ground is that beyond Kabul and a few other major cities with a major military presence, the government's grip and by extension the Western grip on power in Afghanistan was always fairly tenuous. It's hard to say what will happen now. There have been some bizarre Adam Curtis-esque images of young Taliban fighters riding merry-go-rounds, going to the gym and riding bumper cars in a fairground in Kabul. Whether Taliban 2.0 is the same as the Taliban of 96 or 2001, I don't know. Time will only tell, but we know they're a deeply reactionary conservative force.
There are concerns that the Taliban will come in and their presence will diminish human rights, and they're justified concerns. But it's also true that the occupation diminished human rights. The British military, the Australian military, the US military, the various murders and massacres of innocent Afghans, the drone war, all of these are human rights issues. The inquiry found credible evidence that 39 Afghan men and teenagers had been unlawfully killed. Allegations include junior soldiers being coerced into executing prisoners to get their first kill and that weapons were planted on victims to make it look like the killings were legitimate. This man told us about the day his brother was allegedly killed by Australian troops. We were fishing and having a picnic. Around noon, the foreigners carried out their raid. They arrested my brother and took him to a corner. A few minutes later, they shot him in the head three times, and once in his stomach. The argument that we intervene in places and that doing so helps women and children. It's a really, really insidious argument which is made by people who would consider themselves liberals. Let's face it, that's where that comes from. In the army we have a term for that, it's called bullshit. I just don't buy it. And if you are concerned about women, then you would look at places like Saudi Arabia, a close ally, recipient of millions of dollars worth of military equipment. The condition of women in Libya were after intervention, there were slave markets, literal slave markets. In Afghanistan, 40% of people who were killed in airstrikes were children. That is our airstrikes. Husbands, fathers, mothers, wives, and many, many children. The youngest was just three months old. We tend to see Afghanistan through the prism of Kabul, which is anomalous. It's the center of foreign military power. When I was in Kabul, I saw girls wearing jeans, women riding bikes, and that's all good. But in the majority of Afghanistan, nothing much changed. And when you occupy a place and bring war to someone's doorstep, all the things that women face, all the prejudices, and problems and inequalities that women face normally in everyday life are exacerbated. You're adding to their problems when you bring war and occupation to their country. We have to get away from this idea that the British military or the American military or any military is some kind of lib femme organization which is in the business of going around rescuing women. It's profoundly condescending. Even when we look at Afghanistan, the gains which women did make are often attributed to foreign military power, never to the struggles of women in those countries, which has included their resistance to the foreign occupation and the Taliban. These people have fought on two fronts to make the few gains that they do have. And I just find that whole line of argument really disingenuous and just insidious. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome back to the show. That was Joe Glenton, a former British soldier. Uh, Joe is is now an anti-war activist. He's also an author. And uh, if you want to check out his book, it's called Soldier Box. So sounds like it's uh, well well worth uh, a read. So we're moving to the the last part of this episode and as promised uh, Bandofla always likes to cover off what's going on in the world of trade unions and any particular disputes and this uh, episode we are going to be speaking to uh, Pat Hunter. Uh, Pat is a convener uh, for Unison um, Barnet um, and well, he's a convener for Barnet Homes, I should say. Sorry, Pat. Uh, and there's a big uh, campaign going on to protect a, a number of workers, 93 who are at risk of 
losing their jobs um, through a local authority home, which I believe is called Apthorpe Home, uh, and it's run by Barnet Council. Um, so uh, Pat is going to be on our show next, and he's going to tell us about the campaign and how you how you can get involved, how the public can support these workers. So uh, over to you, Pat. Okay, I'm delighted to introduce and welcome Pat Patrick Hunter. Um, Pat is a unison convener for Barnet Homes, and we're going to be talking about uh, a very important campaign that's um, just sort of uh, come up involving unison members um, at a home. So, Patrick, I'm going to hand over to you to explain to our listeners exactly what's going on because we want to we're, we're keen to highlight um campaigns and in industrial disputes and support trade unions on Bandofla. so um yeah explain to the listeners what's going on in barnet okay i think it's important to actually uh give you a little sort of um before we get to the actual dispute and what's actually happening a little bit of the history of uh, care homes in barnet about 20 years ago uh, we handed over 11 care homes to Fremantle, who are a private company, to run our care homes. London Borough Barnet used to run 11 care homes in our borough. We handed over all of our care homes to them. Um, the people who worked in the care homes had their wages attacked, their terms and conditions attacked uh, remorselessly by a really poor employer, uh, Fremantle. Uh, Fremantle also sued during that 20 year period, the council for 10 million quid uh, and were successful. Uh, and uh, two years ago, um, they said they're not going to run the care homes anymore and they handed them back to the London Borough of Barnet. But instead of handing 11 care homes back, they handed three, uh, one of them being at Thorpe Lodge, which I'm going to talk about. So Basically, they were the staff were too paid in. The buildings handed back to London Borough Barnet, uh, reduced terms and conditions. We fought for two years uh, to get them the London living wage because they were on minimum wage. We were successful. We got that. Um, and it is worth mentioning that the uh, directors in the Barnet Group, which is a local authority trading company, during that period. Um, granted themselves an 11% pay rise, taking them all over the £100,000 um, bracket and had been sharing uh, performance bonuses in, 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 in brackets uh, of 70 grand between them. Uh, but, you know, they, they hesitated in giving the London living wage to the care workers. Now we've got to the stage where um, Apthorpe, we were informed on Friday will close. We don't know if it's closing totally forever or they're going to do works and, re and reopen it. Um, but they didn't engage with the trade unions, didn't engage with the staff. And on Friday, they held a meeting out of the blue and we're making 93 of you redundant, which is the total staff at the, the care home. This is after having worked through COVID. This is having... Uh, you know, at the start of the start of COVID, there was no vaccines. These people put the, themselves at risk to go and look after the people that they care for in the home. 
Um, many of them caught COVID. Um, many of the residents, unfortunately, passed away through that period. Um, there was a lack of PPE. The uh, management were at one point disciplining people for uh, non-usage of PPE. Uh, and what that means is uh, someone had passed away and uh, the staff improvised PPE by putting on black plastic bags on their legs because when, when the, the, the client passed away, there was no available PPE. The room was covered in feces where the guy had died. I mean, it was really shocking and they wanted to discipline them. They, they didn't in the end. So we're, we're in this limbo really because what we're asking is why is this home closing because they haven't actually told us yet we haven't actually had any supporting documentation to say this is an, a london borough Barnet decision um and why they have made it who made it none of that we've asked for all of this obviously because it's a consultation so we're waiting for all of that to arrive but it's not the way that you do it these people have worked given their heart and soul through probably the most unprecedented times in my lifetime anyway, when it comes to care work, and the reward at the end of this, on your bike. Now, it's an absolutely shocking situation. I mean... Okay, is that enough for the moment? <laughs> I, I think that's... that's a, a, yeah, thanks for that. I mean, it's... it's it's really worrying, isn't it, that you have um, you've gone from eleven to three. Is there still three um, care homes in Barnet? There's still there's still three care homes in Barnet. We've got uh, uh, Delfield Court, Meadowside, and Apthorpe Lodge. Okay, um, so it's a much reduced service than we handed over to the private sector. Um, Barnet's actually got one of the highest retirement ages, or sorry, not retirement ages, retirement populations in London. Right. It's sort of the, the, the retirement borough almost. Um, and those, when we did have 11 homes, they were full. Yeah. Um, and it does beg the question, we don't know even what has happened to the sites, uh, you know, that, that we handed over. You know, who's made the profit out of those? Where, where has the money gone? Um, what were they used for? All of that stuff. Um, so what we're doing is we are going to fight this redundancy of 93 care workers who have worked all the way through COVID and the reward is to basically face the side. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for you to come on, uh, that you're coming on to the show to let us know about this because it does sound utterly scandalous. Um, and you know and and I'll know that there are um, certain protocols, well, more is more than protocols when it comes to any potential scenario around uh, a redundancy, that there has to be consultation, especially if there's uh, a recognised trade union in place, which Unison clearly clearly is the recognised union. So um, even on that basis, the council will be on, on quite weak ground. Um, but I mean, how long is that? So this has literally just kicked off in the last few days. Yes, I mean, the, the, as I say, uh, I was informed at a meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday. Um, this was happening. And then I went along to the care home at 12.30 uh, for the director of care and the, the management of the home to basically tell the staff that they're going to be made redundant. It came out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. 
we had asked questions um, about two or three weeks prior to that, saying, look, is everything all right at Apthorpe? Um, because it is, uh, it, it, it has had a checkered history. When it, when it was handed back over to the council, there was Legionella. We've cleared that up. We've got rid of that. Um, but the, the care home is a hundred bed care home. At the, at the moment, there's only 26 residents there. Okay. And the reason for that is because they were going to do the works while the residents were there. And that is what they have maintained all the way through since this care home was handed over. On Friday, that all changed without any consultation with anyone, without any consultation with the, the, the uh, client's families, um, without any consultation, obviously, with the staff. Um, and no consultation with the trade unions, which is, you know, it, it, it beggars belief, actually, that they think they can just do this the way they're doing it. It is worrying, and it's not even a private care home. It's it's part of a, a local authority establishment, which makes it even worse in, in that sense. So, um, so just in terms of people listening, what's going to happen with the campaign? I mean, is there, you know, obviously you want them to come around the table so you can reach a negotiated agreement to protect, you know, your units and members or 93 of them. Um, what's, yeah. what's the, what's the next steps for, for your branch? Well, for our branch, we're actually going to fight the closure uh, until they can actually provide us with a documentation that supports the reason why it has to close. Well, that's what consultation is about. You, you put that in the consultation, document you let us scrutinize it you tell us what you have considered and rejected before you actually get to the redundancy scenario that we're now in none of that has been done so we are going to fight this as a branch we are going to fight it um obviously the 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 members are completely distraught um it's mainly uh uh black women who actually work in this home um and you know <laughs> For many of them, it's the main uh, source of income for them and their families. And for Barnet Council to do this and, and the Barnet Group with and in the manner that they're doing it is, is completely wrong. So we are going to fight the closure. Uh, part of that is uh, we are going to have a lobby outside Hendon Town Hall on the 14th of September at six o'clock. And... Any trade unions in London that want to come along to that, I'll tell you what, we would love you to come and, and, and make it clear that care workers are not disposable um, because that's how it feels at the minute. Um, we're there when you need, you need us. And then when we're, you know, when the powers that be decide, it's like, well, disposable, just get rid of them. They, they don't matter. And, you know, I'm sorry, but these people matter. These people cared for their clients all the way through COVID. And as I say, they were dying on a daily basis in these homes, okay? And this is a reward, it's, it's scandalous. So if you can get to the Hendon Town Hall on the 14th of September and show them what the trade union movement's all about. Yeah, I, I mean, we will certainly plug that, um, Patrick. And I, I, you know, I know that there's a lot of trade unionists who, who listen to the show um, and some senior trade union officials um, for that matter. So I know the GMB have a London region headquarters in, in Hendon, just literally down the road. They do indeed. They so do. so <laughs> I'm, I'm telling uh, <laughs> um, Warren Kenny, if you're listening, regional secretary, please coordinate some 
support for our unison brothers and and sisters and and any union for that matter in in London uh, CWU uh, unite um, let's let's all come together and and make a, a big show of solidarity for these workers because you know this is is unacceptable and and I do appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this Patrick we'll plug this and um, obviously it'll be great if you you can come on or one of your colleagues can come on in the future and uh, keep us up to date with how the campaign is going but we sincerely offer you our solidarity and, and wish you every success with with your campaign thank you very much um solidarity with you and you know it's great that trade the, the trade union movement is actually finding new ways to offer solidarity and that that's the thing i mean sometimes it feels as if we're in silos a little bit um but this is this is very very welcome thank you very much yeah. and we look i think the tuc certainly the south southern southeast region um i think they share our podcast out as well so that will hopefully be a good a good angle to to galvanize um support for you as well but um good luck with your campaign pat and uh, we'll speak yeah, to you again soon. look keep in touch with me mate anytime you want us to give a, an interview whatever no problem Okay, that was Patrick Hunter from Unison Barnet, who is um, fronting the campaign, certainly one of the leading uh, campaigners um, trying to protect the Unison members currently working at Apthorpe Home. All 93 of them are at risk of losing their job and it's important that we we get behind and support these uh, Unison members. So... Um, he did mention a, a, a protest and it'll be outside Hendon Town Hall on the 14th of September at 6pm. So if you are in the area, please go down and support these workers, support Unison. So um, a, a great campaign there, um, Unison. And we'll keep listeners up to date with what's going on. Right, we've come to the end. Um, I'm going to leave with a, another a message for Rishi Sunak and Boris um, and it's on it's on the issue of the universal credit um, £20 uh, payment that has been given to, to people since the um, pandemic has been going on and the Tory government are planning to cut the universal credit payment sometime in autumn I think it's beginning of October um, even some of their own Tory MPs are pleading with um, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak to um, not do this, um, to cancel these plans, which kind of say something. But I'll leave you with this thought, OK? This is what the Tories are about. This is exactly what this Tory government is about. MPs can claim for their housing. They can claim for their travel they can claim for their food and they can claim for their utilities and they can also employ family members um, to work which many MPs do so you have all of these unbelievable privileges I don't know what the salary is of an MP at the moment but I know it's um, quite a handsome salary so it's 
it just stinks of one rule for the privileged uh, and the rich and basically um, the message from the government unfortunately is fuck the poor um, apologies for for my language but that's the clear message of this Tory government for the sake of £20 a week which is the difference for so many people to choose between heating and eating the government are so hell-bent on taking away this £20 a week payment which will really push people deeper into poverty uh, and depression and other sorts of problems so um, anyway listen I hope you've enjoyed the the show it was important we featured uh, what's going on in in Afghanistan even as we report on this uh, on this episode an explosion has happened today outside the Kabul airport and my final thought is it was quite interesting I thought that the American sources the American government sources were able to tweet about an imminent terror threat hours before it happened which you know fair enough it was a an accurate warning um, but they can sort out intelligence on something like that on a new uh, terror group a new al-qaeda terror group but the speed of the taliban takeover was something that caught them on the hop um, i'll leave you to draw your own conclusions on that so listen if you want to contact the show email us at podcastbundofla at gmail.com if you wish to leave us a comment um, please go to our anchor platform of where Bandofla is and there's an opportunity to leave a voice message and if it's um, of note of you know we will consider playing it on our next episode so if you wish to have a rant about the government or anything else feel free to to use that um, you have a 60 second window to to make your point we're also on twitter um, it's underscore b-a-n-d-o-f-l-a so until next time uh, listeners do take care keep safe uh, peace and love and solidarity